Finley Toyota Studio, it's Coalfield and Company. We're all over Vegas today. Adam Candy is with us. Cofield here in Fort Collins, Colorado. 5.30 is running Rebel warm-up as the Rebels are taking on Colorado State. So a little bit of a shortened 5 o'clock hour. We'll cut out around uh, 5.34 running Rebel warm-up. All right, Candy, you ready to uh, do the stretch run here? It's party, Cofield. I'm ready. Okay. I have to throw something into the rundown that we uh, didn't originally have scheduled, and I think your head's going to explode. Or maybe because it's from a different source. You're going to be cool about it. I shudder in fear on this one. I, I know where we're going with this, but go ahead. A report from uh, the great Arash Markazi. There it is. Not from the RJ. Um, and that's not ripping on the RJ. Just maybe uh, someone on the show has a problem with uh, the source. Uh, the story is over the last six, ma- uh, six, nine months. Arash Markazi. The Oakland A's have narrowed their stadium search in Las Vegas to the Tropicana and the Las Vegas Festival Grounds. On the North Strip, behind Resorts World and Circus Circus, in front of the Strat and across from the Sahara. So a little bit, little bit off there, unless I'm – am I unfamiliar with – is there extended property on the uh, festival grounds, right? It's, uh, it's across from the Sahara. It's north of Resorts World, like well north. It is also north of Circus Circus and just south of the Strat, right? I have the right piece of property? You have the right piece of property. Okay. Um, Arash says, uh, one of those two properties, the Tropicana or the Festival Grounds, where they would build a $1 billion domed park. Are you cool? Are we cool? Are you done with the show? Uh, cool is the, one of the words that is part of this for me. Uh, <laughs> the calm. other two are Stay story calm. bro. Cool story bro. Okay. Because what this is is yet another yep. story about the A's doesn't talk about who's paying for the stadium. And in the end, talk all you want about where the site is. I don't care if it's Summerlin. I don't care if it's the festival grounds. I don't care if they build it in Steve Cofield's backyard. Until someone tells me who's paying for this stadium and where the public money is coming from, because it doesn't seem like it's coming from Governor Lombardo and it doesn't seem like it's coming from the state legislature, then why are the A's leaving Northern California to come here if no one's helping them to pay for the stadium. So unless you tell me that the world's cheapest franchise is suddenly going to dig into its pockets and find a whole lot of hundreds of millions that they haven't until this point, then I don't give a damn about any of these stories about where the site might be. It's a site for nothing until we have information about who's paying for the stadium. Until then, I'm going to sleep. Wake me up when it happens. All right, up until late last week, I guess it was, was it actually Tuesday night? So it wasn't late last week. Tuesday night, Wednesday, I was completely on board yeah, Drew with Brees you, all but the- I thought something happened that was pretty interesting on Tuesday. Uh, Sheriff Joe made a comment to the paper and plainly stated and mentioned the Oakland A's, there is no public money available. I was like, woo! And at that moment, I went to Twitter and I said, let's see if he sticks with this. He stuck with it for less than an hour because then Team Lombardo reached uh, or put a statement out that said, well, there could be incentives and programs for professional sports to land in Las Vegas. Basically, the first statement was a little bit inaccurate. And the reason, Candy... I thought at that moment, maybe something has changed with the A's, is that it was clear that 
someone or someones called Governor Lombardo or people in his office and said, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't give out quotes that says the whole thing is shut down. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that means there is money available for him, but he got a call or calls from influential people, probably behind the scenes who were like, listen, Gov, we're working on something here. You don't freaking shut the door publicly. You got to send something back out and say, you know, there are open minds on this thing. Completely reasonable knowing the way politics work in the state of Nevada. And maybe the A's in Major League Baseball look at the change in governor and think to themselves, here's our opportunity. Because Sisolak had made very clear pretty much what Labardo said, that there's no public money for this. But maybe it looks a little different. Maybe it's not about tax money. Maybe there truly is no tax money. Maybe there is some sort of incentive in terms of the tax structure for purchasing the land versus giving them actual money. So I also, and again, I'm just kind of theorizing here. You know, you're trying to read what's going on with without all the inside knowledge of this because the details have been so scant on the A's and how they were going to possibly land here in Las Vegas. And I think they've used Vegas as a negotiating pawn and this whole countdown of like 16 sites to eight to four to two. And now they've got a couple named. And by the way, both of those have certain flaws. And I, I don't know, have you seen the, uh, the engineering details of the festival grounds, which apparently couldn't house a gigantic structure because of ground instability? Have we have, we have an update on that? Maybe I mean, seriously, maybe I missed it. No, I haven't seen anything new about that. Okay. So I want to go back to what you said about Sisolak, because that's pretty interesting, where Major League Baseball and the A's could look at it and go, hey, that guy was a, a, an anti, whatever. He, he, did, he wasn't going to give public tax money. Maybe we can you know, kind of muscle in and work with Lombardo. Can we expand on the Sisolak no public money part? Why do you, deep down, why do you think Sisolak was on the side of no public money for the A's? For the A's in particular, because what you have to keep in mind is that County Commissioner Steve Sisolak Mm -hmm. was the single biggest political driving force, short of Governor Brian Sandoval and Sheldon Adelson, rest in peace, in bringing the Raiders to Las Vegas. Yep. And there's little doubt in my mind that the Raiders do not want the A's here. And... Who better to turn to than the guy who helped pave the way for the Raiders to come to Vegas in the first place and is an ally? Who better to turn to for the Raiders than to go to Sisolak and say, we don't want him here. So I'm not saying the Raiders rule the state, but bruh, we don't want him here. So do what you have to do to keep the A's from coming here because we know there's a longstanding rivalry between those two organizations. Not even to mention... Go back to the Golden Knights. Bill Foley's never been happy about the public money that Mm -hmm. the Raiders got to build their stadium when he helped to privately finance T-Mobile Arena. I wouldn't imagine Bill Foley would be too happy about that either. And let's keep something else in mind about Bill Foley. He is one of the largest donors to Republican causes throughout the country, and we have a Republican governor at the moment. Adam Candy, Steve Cofield, to start off the 5 o'clock hour, we'll go until 5.30 when we hand it off to a running rebel Warm-up. Candy wasn't in yesterday as we reviewed championship weekend. You know, as I head to the Super Bowl, I already took the Chiefs plus the two. I think the Chiefs will win the game. And the more I'm thinking about it, I think the Eagles are a really good team, but I don't know that they're a complete team on offense. 
I think we may have just seen the two best teams in the NFL play, in essence, what was the Super Bowl, and the Chiefs came out of it. I think the Chiefs have a chance to win this game, possibly by, you know, 10, 13 points. And now what we set up here, well, one, uh, the Chiefs got really pissed off about the Burrowhead stuff, and I don't know if that was the reason they won the game, but it was interesting hearing Chris Jones as he walked up to a camera, and he's like, don't ever do Burrowhead again. Hey, let me tell y'all something, man. Don't ever... So don't ever disrespect Arrowhead again. And I don't know if you're on board with me on the Chiefs being able to handle the Eagles, but I know you're in line with, we may have a rivalry here for the next six or seven years with two freaking awesome quarterbacks. What looks like two good organizations, although I will say Cincinnati hasn't had to get to Cross that finish line when Joe Burrow's making forty-five or fifty million dollars. The Chiefs are dealing with it now, and Brett Veach, the GM, is freaking awesome. But this could be, you know, one of the great rivalries in football here for a while. The last time we had anything that looked like this, it was Brady and Manning. And the difference now is that we have two quarterbacks who don't live the Dockers' life the way those guys do, who are actually going to be interesting in their rivalry. I loved watching Brady and Manning go at each other. And it was seriously the only time I've seen anything with two teams that clearly in their own ways didn't like each other. But this is different when we get Burrow and Mahomes who might be able to do it. I love it. We haven't had this kind of rivalry in the NFL for way, way, way too long. So good on Travis Kelsey. Good on Patrick Mahomes. Good on Chris Jones. Good on all of them for going out there and answering Mike Hilton and answering the mayor of Cincinnati. Because you know what it is? It's fun. It's great for all of us. It's entertainment beyond the game. Everything has become so sanitized and so PR ready. I love when we can have this healthy sort of conversation. Even Joe Burrow came back this week and said, you know what? It's all love in the end. It's all love. Yeah. Okay. It's all love for you, but you know, it's all love for you on the golf course at this point. It's awesome. I'm glad we have it. I want to remind people of uh, what's going on on Friday. We uh, worked out a partnership for a bunch of tickets. We'll be giving away more tickets uh, throughout the week to the uh, Warren Moon uh, 20th Annual Hall of Fame Players Party. Again, that's Friday night at Resorts World. That'll be, uh, what, just south of a brand spanking new uh, Oakland A Stadium, Las Vegas A Stadium, when they ah. pick the festival grounds over the what? Ah, just, that's just my it's A Stadium an, reaction. It's not an absolute. It's not an absolute. Ah. <laughs> It's so crazy, but uh, that party's going down uh, on Friday. It's at Resorts World. Like I said, uh, we're going to give you guys a chance to qualify for ticket giveaways. Uh, party is headed up. Uh, the Hall of Fame Players Party is headed up by Warren Moon, Shannon Sharp, Charles Woodson. There's going to be some Raiders stars there, uh, former Raiders, including uh, Rod Martin. I know Eddie George is at that party. Also, local legend Stephen Jackson, the former Ram will be part of that party. If you go to eventbrite.com, that's where you can grab the tickets. Right now there's a discount available if you use the code, promo code MM2022. Go to eventbrite, event, B-R-I-T-E.com. You search Hall of Fame and you can buy your tickets. It's Friday, February 3rd at Resorts World. JT the Brick from over on Raider Nation Radio 920 is the host. So uh, grab your tickets now, eventbrite.com. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. 
Adam Candy, Steve Cofield, as we head towards running Rebel warm-up in about 11 minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas and the call of the game with John Sandler and Curtis Terry. Um, I think, I think, Candy, just from watching workouts, now things could change. That was like six hours ago, uh, the shoot-around. I think tonight the Rebels have a shot at getting Lou Rod back, Luis Rodriguez, who you know is one of their top five scorers, I don't think people realize because Elijah Parquet has gotten so much attention as a defender and the team really did dip defensively with EP out. But uh, Luis Rodriguez is kind of the glue on the front court because he plays a lot of defense against the four men. Um, This is not a gigantic team in Colorado State, but I think he has a chance to play tonight. That said, I'm not sure they're going to have the full complement of players. So we'll have to see uh, in warmups. When I, I'm right now, I'm uh, in the back of the arena, but we'll see in warmups if everyone is warming up. So there may be some more adjustments that Kevin Kruger is going to have to make. And guess what? That's what you do as a coach. That's why you get paid the big bucks. And I, I, I will point out for the most part, like I think San Diego State and Boise State are the two best teams in conference, but they really neither team has really had to deal with serious, serious injuries so far. And it's tough to get through an entire season, you know. 30, whatever, five, 38 games with no injury issues. It seems like every other team in the conference has had some sort of injury, whether it be a supporting cast guy, a starter, or, you know, a megastar like Wyoming. And the biggest thing about it is that the conference is so much deeper and so much better than it's been for the better part of a decade that those things get exposed quickly over the course of a long season. I'll say this much about San Diego State, though, and the thing that really jumped out at me watching them play against Utah State, for all of the Fisher years, maybe there were one or two guys who could score when they really needed to create something late in the shot clock or they just didn't have the team offense going. This team's got five or six guys who can get their own shot, and that, to me, is terrifying for a San Diego State team that we know is generally going to play pretty good defense. That's the big difference for me. I think they could even withstand an injury or two with as deep as that roster looked to me. So let's talk coaching to close here because the big news of the day in the NFL was uh, two of the openings got filled. The Texans go with D'Amico Ryans, or I'll, I think more accurately, D'Amico Ryans goes with the Texans because I, I know you're, I, you made your point earlier about, hey, especially with African-American coaches, you can't turn down opportunities. I mean, look at the way – it turned out for Byron Leftwich. Not only did he not get the Jaguar job, but then he lost the OC job with the Buccaneers the next year, and he may not be an OC this coming year. When he got fired, there were still nine offensive coordinator openings. So I, I understand the plight that African-Americans face around the National Football League. As I said earlier, I don't like this job as a serious job. I'm going to say one more thing. Um, we can say a lot more things, but D'Amico Ryan's got a six-year deal. I said yesterday that he should get a 10-year deal which would be absurd. John Gordon had one. But with that organization, I would ask for a 10-year deal, and I won't want 80% of the money guaranteed, at least 80% of the money. We don't know what the guaranteed money is here on a six-year deal, which is a lot of security, but it doesn't mean much if there's like a three-year out. He needs to be guaranteed five of the six years' money. Otherwise, you know, these guys, you don't know what Cal McNair and, and Casario, the GM, are going to do. Most of these contracts come with significant guarantees that are going to either go one or two ways at the end. Either it's going to be like Gruden's situation, not that there are many like it, where you're going to have a buyout to talk about, okay, what are we going to pay you out of this for you to walk away? Or it's going to be set up for an offset in the long run where you don't, as the owner, have to pay this coach by the time they take 
a new job. So yeah, that's why Cliff Kingsbury can be off in Thailand, and we're all like, yeah, go stay in Thailand. That's fine because you're going to be collecting that money for as long as you're there. But let's talk about the kind of money that we're discussing here. According to Sportico from just a couple of months ago, Belichick, $20 million. Carroll, $15 million. McVay, $14 million. Tomlin, $12.5. Andy Reid, 12 Just as the first top five guys. So if you talk about, all right, let's just say 80% of that money guaranteed over the course of six years. If D'Amico Ryan right. gets anything that looks right. like that, that is generational wealth that good organization, bad organization, I'm taking that opportunity if I have that chance if I'm D'Amico Ryan's. Yeah, if he just got a deal for, say, seven a year, $42 million over six years, I want 35 guaranteed because that's how little I trust the Texans to not bail in three years and also not screw you over in terms of personnel. That, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a weird organization. Let me, let me pivot to the, the Sean Payton thing. First of all, the comedy of the Sean Payton thing. If you went on record the last couple of days saying there's no way Sean Payton is taking the job with the Broncos, then you're in a group with this guy, Rex Ryan. I, I don't see this happening in a million years. And the reason for it is Sean Payton, you're going to come back into coaching and, and you're going to take this team. You have no compensation there because all the draft picks are already going to Seattle. And so to me, I don't see it happening. I can see Sean Payton coming back. He didn't want to go against Patrick Mahomes twice a year. I can see him going back to New Orleans and maybe bringing a quarterback named Tom Brady was. Oh, how about that? That's- oh, how about that? Yeah, no, none of it was right. Um, it wasn't in a million years. They did have the compensation. He's not afraid to go up against Patrick Mahomes in the AFC West. I like the hire. I actually, maybe I'm in the 10% that actually likes what the Broncos have. I think Russell Wilson is incredibly fixable. Um, you know, we even saw some of the positive signs in their final game against the Broncos where it was deep ball, deep ball, deep ball. He, he can still throw that. He can be a good quarterback. Hackett was a disaster. Hackett was a disaster. You, you can't freaking coach as a first-year guy and run the offense. Peyton will fix it, and I think he'll fix it pretty quickly. I want you to listen to Greeny here doing his radio show from ESPN where he sort of suggests that Maybe there is little demand. This was on Monday. Little demand for Peyton because what he did in New Orleans, eh, it was okay, but, I mean, he only won one title. Yeah, Drew Brees all those years, and you won one Super Bowl and didn't get to another one. Now, Sean has, like, a dynamism about him that is very appealing and attractive and exciting, and and so I think people are excited about the idea of him coming to coach their team. I would be, too, but I don't get the sense that... I'll finish that cut. That there was a ton of interest around the league from lots of organizations. Well, there wasn't a ton of openings. It seems like every opening had an interest in him. And, you know, when we grade coaches and we're just going to stack up Super Bowl rings, will you relax? First of all, the Broncos have been terrible. They've been a bottom five franchise since Peyton Manning moved on. They've been bad. So... If Sean Payton doesn't get them a Super Bowl title, what, twice in the next seven years, he's still going to be a 9-10-11 win coach. It's a vast improvement from where they've been. First of all, there wasn't much interest around the league. Yeah, because there are only so many teams, that, A, that have openings, and B, that want to trade their first-round pick to fill that opening when they know that a D'Amico Ryans is out there, when they know that a Frank Reich is out there. Look, is Sean Payton a guy with a demonstrated track record of success? Yes, but I also saw some stats today that pointed out quite clearly from Rob Domofsky, I want to give proper credit, 
that Sean Payton's career record looks a hell of a lot like Mike McCarthy's career record. The numbers line up almost perfectly in terms of amount of Super Bowls, amount of playoff appearances, on, on, on. And it's not to say Sean Payton's Mike McCarthy. It is to say that the difference between a guy like Sean Payton and a guy like Frank Reich might not be a first-round pick for a lot of organizations. So that is not an equivalence that I think makes a lot of sense. And just to put a bow on the D'Amico Ryans thing, the whole idea of the Texans churning through coaches, we knew that David Culley and Lovey Smith were there for a year. We knew when they took the job. Everybody knew when they took the job. Doesn't make it any better. Doesn't make the organization any better. But let's not all act shocked about what happened. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Uh, last 60 seconds here, and we can build on this in, in future shows. Raiders fans should be pissed because they're now looking at, I mean, we can just do it on paper. They now have the worst coach in the division. And we don't know a whole lot about Ziegler, but the third or fourth GM in the division, I mean, I think Veach is definitely better. I like Tom Telesco more, but again, the body of evidence with Ziegler. But on the coaching front, based on what Josh McDaniels has done as a head coach, they have the number four head coach in the division. It's not even questionable, and I'm fascinated to see if the Raiders decide that it's going to be a veteran or if it's going to be a young quarterback because that's going to tell me everything I need to know about how much faith Mark Davis has in Josh McDaniels. And right now, the answer is too much. It's just a matter of how much too much. All right, Candy, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks to DeMond. Thanks to uh, Colorado State for housing the show today. It's Cofield and company on the way in less than three minutes is running Rebel warm-up, and tip goes at 6 o'clock, UNLV at Colorado State.